Let's jump into this week's sermon that I am eager to share. It's a different kind of one. You don't get to hear this one every single day, but I think it's just as important. The series we've been in is called Manger Changer, and many of y'all have heard the concept by now, but I'm going to revisit it real quick, that there is a nativity scene with the manger right here um, that we're all accustomed to seeing, and according to Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2, there's a few necessary requirements in order to have a manger scene. Jesus is in the center of every manger scene. Go figure the song we just sang, Jesus at the center of my life. Okay, cool. And I I have a little heart right here because I think whatever is at the center of your manger scene tells you a lot about what's going on in your life. It's as if God looks down on us, and as he looks down on us and sees this perspective, whatever's at the center of your life, Jesus could be a part of it, but if he's not at the center of it, then your manger scene's all jacked up. There is no Christmas, and you have a false. God or an idol that you're actually worshiping. And I don't think people do this intentionally. Most people don't just wake up and go, I'm going to swap Jesus out today. But two weeks ago, we swapped him out real quick with uh, the, 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 the three kings, the three wise men, and we talked about what happens when we let money become the center of our lives. Um, Last week, we swapped them out for Mary and Joseph, and we talked about what happens when the family becomes the center of our lives. This week, we're going to see what happens when we swap them out for the shepherds, um, and the shepherds become the center of our life. And what do I mean by that? I mean that in Luke chapter 2, when we get to read about the shepherds, they're on the clock. They're working at their job. They're doing what they are uh, titled to do. They are shepherds shepherding. They're shepherding late at the night. They are busy. They've got a job to do. And the Bible says that the angels show up, interrupt their whole work day, and they say, guess what? On the mountain next door in Bethlehem, there is the Messiah. You'll find him swaddled in cloth, lying in a manger. Go see him. Go worship him. They left their job. I sometimes wonder if the sheep, they probably gathered too, right? But maybe they took their job with them, but they, they left their uh, typical work day. They went, they worshiped the Messiah, and then the Bible says that they went back telling everybody and their mama what they just heard and what God just did. they telling all the other shepherds. They're telling all the other people at the coffee uh, 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 around the water cooler. Come on, they told everybody they ran into along the way that you cannot believe what God just did. So they were known, they were even labeled for their job and their work. And so today we're going to talk today about what happens when we replace Jesus with our work. Oh, look, come on. Isn't that kind of cute? Look at that. Got a little pyramid. I hope they got a close visual for you if, you, if you're in the back. That we got, we got our, our work icons up here. What happens when our work becomes the center of our lives? Um, did you know God designed us to work? When we look at the very beginning of how God created man, we go back to Genesis chapter 2, and it says this, as they put it up on the screen, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to, say the next word with me, tend, and to, what's the next word? Watch. They had responsibilities. They had jobs. They, they, they were to co-labor 
with God. Now, here's a little fun fact, because I like to geek out on the Bible sometimes, actually a lot of times, and I don't try to spill it on you all the time, but did you know this, that rain wasn't even created in the beginning? They were called to tend the garden, but the Bible says that God irrigated the land from underneath. In other words, it was perpetually watered. So what does someone responsible for tending and watching the garden actually do all day long when it's self-watered and itself has the light of the world hitting it all day long? Come on, they're just walking around going, I'm killing the game. That is the biggest piece of fruit I've ever seen. This, this, this is a lush garden. I must be one incredible gardener. Come on. They're just walking around. This is what work looked like. It was not that difficult. Yet the Bible says when Adam and Eve fell, part of the curse was God said to man, he said that um, the ground is cursed because of what you did. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat. Tell your neighbor, work is supposed to be hard. It got hard when the lady messed up everything for the man. Come on. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Because at the same respect, every woman's kind of going, and you jacked up everything in child labor. Come on. The, the, the curse that fell on man and the curse that fell on woman happened right here, and it affected work. And so now work is supposed to be difficult. Fast forward to today. Mark uh, 16, 20 says, then uh, the disciples went out, and they preached everywhere, and the Lord worked, say this next word with me, through them. God is still in the business of co-laboring with us. He's like, you get to work and I'm going to get to work through you. We're going to do it together. And if you don't get to work, I can't work through you. So there's a, a pattern of work going on. And I've, I've been asked this fun fact before. Pastor, when we die, will we have jobs in heaven? There are some indications of some sort of work in heaven. Revelations 22 verse 3 says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. Now, some translations say his servants will worship him. I have studied that occupational verb, that word, that description. Guess what? It's the precursed Edenic original plan of work that is not the sweat-beating, brow-beating, oh my goodness, heaven's so difficult. It's back to the garden when we're going, I'm killing the game up here. I don't even know what I'm doing, <laughs> but I'm telling you what, everything I put my hand to just flourishes. I don't know how I'm doing this, but I'm pretty special because we'll already know that God's doing it. There are terms used of work that will be judges in heaven, will be worshipers in heaven, will be praying in heaven. And one psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in heaven than to spend one day apart from God. So I don't know what our jobs will be doing, but I know it's going to be pleasurable. It's going to be purpose-giving. It's going to be delightful. It's going to be like... I. I have a responsibility. I get to co-labor with God. I get to do something. I get to make heaven heaven. And so God loves to co-labor with us and participate with us. And because we are wired to work, we're always thinking about it. In fact, tell your neighbor you were wired to work. Now tell your other neighbor you chose second that that means there's fulfillment in your work. <laughs> 
there is fulfillment in your work. And because we're wired to work, man has always made idols of productivity and work. Always trying to get ahead, always trying to have an advantage. And so in our Bibles, the, uh, the Israelites would trade in the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for the God, the lowercase g, God of Baal or Ashtaroth. These are, these are by, uh, false gods in our Old Testament. They were the gods of fertility. And it wasn't just the God of fertility like help me have kids and help my family get large. Remember, they were agricultural in nature. So your wealth wasn't dependent on your bank account. Your wealth was dependent on how big your harvest was, how many cows they just had in the last uh, birthing cycle. And so they would trade in their worship for the God of fertility to hook my cows up and, 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 and hook my goats up and hook my harvest up and let there be a big harvest work. And then... Greek gods, we can go back outside the Bible. There has always been humanity trying to, to, to have an idol of work like Artemis, who was the Greek god of fertility and productivity, or Hephaestus, who was the Greek god of craftsmanship. There has always been something in history and man that always overindulges or thinks too much about work and exchanges God for another one. Even in the Catholic faith, which I grew up in, at confirmation, they say this, you need to pick a patron saint. And I never really understood that because I look up to saints, but they were like, no, like a patron saint to pray to, to ask them to pray to God for you. And so I've chose the patron saint of music because I was a musician. I was like, hook a brother up. Okay, anyway, do you know who's the patron saint of work? My boy Joseph. <laughs> they said he was a carpenter, and he worked his whole life to support Jesus. So if you prayed to Joseph, Joseph will pray for you all the time too. And while I think it's good to look up to the saints that we read about in our Bible, it is always called idolatry or turning a, a figure into a lowercase g God when we pray to them and ask them to do things for us that God said he would handle himself. There's always been something in humanity that looks for an edge in work, or cutting corners, or making too much of it. Today, I believe we have a two-faced idol to contend with in work. I think on one hand, this is not going to be fair, but it'll make, a it'll make sense in a minute. On one hand, we have the God of laziness. And on the other hand, we have the God of excessive toil. <laughs> We, 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 we tend to either under-exaggerate the role that it should play and we idolize just how little, or we overindulge and we burn the candle on both ends. So let me talk about these two gods today as I put them back here. Somebody gave me this and said, that could be your icon. I'm like, it'll crush Jesus. It won't go next to Jesus. <laughs> the God of laziness. Let me tackle this one first. I define... People who have the God of laziness as those who avoid work, live off of others, or are unaware that their standard of work is poor. Proverbs 12 verse 24 says, work hard and become a leader, be lazy and become a slave. 
Now we know this, that our God is always for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. So there is a portion about him that's like, I gave you work. I gave you purpose. You're going to have to find your balance or else you will become a slave. And I already busted my people out of Egypt once before. I don't desire any of you to be enslaved. Yet uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 says, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. One of the reasons they said this is because the disciples were constantly thinking, Jesus is coming back any moment now. And if Jesus is coming back any moment now, their posture was this. It was just constantly looking at the heavens, constantly looking up, and God's saying, get to work. Yeah, you, you've got to get to work. There's a plan to get to work. Yes, keep one eye on heaven, but also you've got to get to work because you're gaining the wrong reputation. And I, by the way, I want to use you as leaders, not followers, not, not slaves. And so from the age of accountability all through our Bible, there's a pull your own weight responsibility, but not just pull your own weight. Take care of the needs of others too. And if you don't get to work, you can't not only pull your own weight, but you cannot take care of the needs of your neighbors. You cannot love them the way God wants you to love them. Proverbs 12, 27 says, a lazy life is an empty life. Just lacking purpose, lacking reason for breathing air. And so if I have given in to the God of laziness and I've misplaced the manger in my manger set. How do I rearrange this misplaced manger? Here's three things you need to do. Number one, get to work. I almost labeled this one, get a job. No, come on. <laughs> come on. Some, some parents of some older kids are like, amen, preach that one. Come on. No, 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 no. Listen. We are called to get to work. God's got a plan behind the work. God wants to use us in our work. And there's not many times Scripture calls people names. I mean, it's in there. But here's one time where God uses a few names. Proverbs 6, this, uh, 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 they write, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. <laughs> Though they have no ruler to make them work, they labor anyway, all summer long. Gathering food for the winter, you see the theme of pull your weight and take care of the needs of your neighbor too? Listen, but you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit once again. I don't want you enslaved. I don't want you to be the bottom of the barrel. I want you to be the head and not the tail. I've got a big plan for you. I'm trying to use you, my people, to be a light unto the world. You are the salt of the earth. you got to get to work because I'm trying to show people how I, my people live, move, and have their being. You know, we think about King David. Many of us, if you're not familiar with King David, he's the David who slayed Goliath and then eventually became king. And in David's laziest season of his life, he committed the worst sin of his entire life. The Bible says, when kings go off to war, David stayed home. 
And instead, he went up to his rooftop and he surveyed all of his kingdom. And he saw a woman bathing on the rooftop named Bathsheba. And he said, servants, go get her for me. He slept with her, conceived a child with her, then set up an assassination plot to kill her husband so that he could try to cover it up. It was in the laziest season of King David's life. God has a redemption factor in work. He's not only giving you purpose, but he's giving you a a, a plan and something to think about. And and we got to be mindful. It doesn't always mean punching the clock. There's different ways that we work, but God wants us to be about a work. Number two, work hard. Ephesians 6 is one of my favorite portions of scripture when it comes to work. I have replaced the terminology of slave master, which no longer applies to anyone, praise Jesus, but I have replaced them with the employee boss mentality, and this is my theology for work. Employees, obey your boss with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Work with enthusiasm. Here's my favorite part of the scripture. As though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. In other words, your boss is not all as important because your boss isn't really your boss. My boss is is that boss, and he's watching all the time whether my boss saw it, whether good or not. So he might be great, she might be great, she might be terrible or not so great, but I don't work as unto you. So praise the Lord, boss, I don't work unto you. I work as unto you, and because of that, this boss is walking around going, that is the employee of all employees. How in the world? I must be such a great boss. And you say, you ain't all that, boss. That boss is all that. And sometimes you miss the good I do, and sometimes you pick on the negativity that I do, but that boss doesn't miss a thing, and he's watching all the time. I shall be rewarded whether it be in heaven or later on. My big boss sees it all. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so that will change everything, because some of you got great bosses, and some of you are like, they ain't so great, but we all have an amazing father. He's watching all the time, so I serve as unto man. And if it gets to a point where that boss is not all that great, maybe, maybe it's time for a change or whatever. But I do know this, that I've served great bosses and I've served terrible ones. And I was able to be effective because of this scripture that I tried to hold on closely in my heart. It says, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. But then it's not just about workers. It says, hey, bosses, leaders, treat your employees the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you have... You both have the same master in heaven, and he doesn't have any favorites. In other words, he's not saying, you're more special than this one. No, we should all walk in the fear and the reverence of the Lord as we work. We don't take advantage of our fellow man. We don't try to take advantage of the system. We work with integrity and honesty and hard work. Does that sound good? Can I hear an amen if that's all right? This is the weakest amen I'm going to get. I don't like that. (laughs) Number three. Work for God's glory. 
Work has a redemptive factor to it that it oftentimes forces us to socialize, meet people we would never meet if we hadn't been doing this job before, and we start connecting. So make friends. Um, Reach others with your witness and then participate in kingdom building because, oh, by the way, at the end of the day, it comes with a paycheck. And now when I go to the Lord's house, I don't show up with an empty hand to the king of kings. I have a tithe. I have an offering. I have a gift that I could give him. And it doesn't look like much. It may feel really small, but I'm so glad I get to show up with something that I can say, God, you did this, and I'm happy to worship you. Can I get an amen? Come on, let me encourage you. I've heard some people say, we gave in a legacy offering, and it wasn't much. I was like, wrong. It was a lot to God. Come on. God is not measuring it based on the dollar's amount. God is looking at the heart. And so I'm just so thankful that I get to participate in building heaven bigger and hell smaller. And if you're on the other end, the the, the second face of this uh, idolic God, the God of excessive toil, I've, I've defined it this way. It's for those who overindulge, never come home, burn the candle at both ends, or they make an idol of their work ethic, their possessions, or their position that their work ethic have afforded them. It's like if you pay attention to any sports game, at the end they start interviewing you. I don't care if you won or lost. They start saying, hey, how did it go today? We worked really hard. The crowd was working really hard. We were all working hard. My teammates were working hard all day long. It's idolizing work ethic. It's always about look what I did. Look what my strength did. Look how good I am. Look up to me because of just how much I put into the game. And there seems to be this tension with God that you can't be the lazy bones, but you should not make your identity. Burning the candle at both ends. It reminds me. Uh, uh, of people like, by the way, your occupation is not your identity. If God were to say, who are you, and you fill it in with what you do, your heart has been strung to the wrong strength. Your strength is, I am a son or daughter of the Most High King. And any occupation can be stripped of me, and I still have the value that I was created with because God is at the center of it all. Not my occupation's at the center of it all. If you took it away from me, I'd be up a creek. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Jesus has to be at the center of it all. And it's not our work ethic. It's not how good we are. It's not our possessions. It's not our positions. It's not our title. I think about when I was working on my master's degree in theology. I'm pretty good in academics. Maybe that's not your gift. Some of you will have that gift too. If you got it, you get it. I kind of like studying things. I like digging deep into things and especially theology. And I can remember I I got about three quarters of the way through. I still had a 4.0. But that can be a heavy yoke of idolatry too because it's all about keeping my reputation. It's all about keeping my title. It's all about keeping my status. So halfway through, it went from being a blessing to now being a burden And I can remember three-quarters of the way through in my homiletics class, which is, by the way, learning how to preach to a church. I've been preaching for 15 years at this point. I'm like, I hope I do all right with this one. I think I could do all right with this one. I gave it my best efforts, and the professor at the end gave me an A-. And I thought, okay, I didn't like that very much. 
But at least my 4.0 is still intact until I looked it up and academically that meant they gave you a 3.5, not a 4.0 for that grade. You will never have a 4.0 again. Your GPA is now 3.9. And I thought, you professor from Satan sent you to teach in a Bible college. Get some sort of sick twist out of giving people A minuses. An A minus is the same thing as an A. Just erase it and put a 4.0. And I felt like after a while God said, I did it to bless you. Because do you think you'll go further with a 4.0 and it's all about you? Or a 3.8 and God is your reliance, not any degree, not any sort of status, not any grade symbol, not any sort of title, not any. And it freed me the rest of the time. I got A's the rest of the time, but I no longer put my identity and strength in. Look what I did. I put my attention in. God, you've got it anyway. You've got this under control and I trust you. I have a mentor who once told me, if you don't fall on the rock, the rock will fall on you. In other words, if you don't fall on Jesus Christ, the rock, Jesus Christ is going to fall on you to save you. Many of us already know this because maybe you burn the, the candle on both ends and you ended up with your body telling you, heads up, you're not God. And to remind you you're not God, you're not limitless, you're not infinite, I'm going to put you in the hospital for just a little bit of time until your body helps to tell you, you can't do this forever because you're not God. See, when we make an idol of this thing, we can start to think it all rises and falls on my effort. It all rises and falls on my status, my income level, my title, whether I hold this job or not. And that's turning God, that's rearranging our manger. If that's you, how to rearrange your misplaced manger, I've got three quick things. Number one, Sabbath. Sabbath is a fancy word that means rest. In the Bible, the Sabbath, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus said this, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. In other words, I created it to help you. I created it to bless you. I created it to slow you down. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he Sabbath. He rested. And by the way, last I checked, we were made in the image of God, not above the image of God. So for us to work seven days thinking, I'm going to get ahead, I'm going to make up a little bit, I'm going to put a little away for Christmas, and I'm going to take care of things, is to say, God couldn't do it, but I can. It's a very dangerous place for your soul to carry very long. And by the way, does this work? Psychology today is catching up with what the Bible said years ago. I have looked this up, and in multiple surveys, I'm about to rattle off what uh, social psychologists have said are the benefits of people who go to church every single week. Those who rest and go to church have happier marriages, longer marriages, better sex lives. Young people said, hello, we're going to church every single week. Less feelings of loneliness a better sense of belonging, increased bonds with friends. They become better neighbors. They sin less. They have more peace. They, are, they have more positive thoughts. They are more generous, more likely to read their Bible and pray. And by the way, Harvard says they're more likely to have a longer life. What? 
Going to church can increase my life. Your Bible actually says that. But can it really? Like, is that true? Harvard, Harvard studied, and they, they, they did a survey on 70,000 people. And the people who went to church every single week had a 33% less likely to pass away in a 20-year span as the rest of the people in the survey. Go figure. God knew what he was talking about when he said, I made the Sabbath for your benefits. And when you forsake it and when you think you don't need it or when you make little of it, you're only hurting yourself. Because I wrote this down, Sabbathing is a lot like tithing. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Tithing is saying God can do more with my 90 if I give him 10 than if I tried to do everything myself. Sabbathing is saying God can do more when I give him my six and I trust him with my seventh. I honor him with my seventh. And by the way, social science says that too because if you go seven out of seven, your productivity rate drops, your attitude drops, your relationships drop, your life in general drops. God must have been on to something. Maybe he's God after all and knows what he's talking about. Maybe we should just obey. By the way, if you suffer with the God of laziness, laziness, you don't need to Sabbath. You actually have to work six days to earn a Sabbath day. Okay, so you can't just go, oh, come on. I've been working two days and oh, it's just so difficult. Come on. Biblically, you got to work six days to have a Sabbath for a Sabbath, all right? I thought that was a little bit funnier. <laughs> 915 found that funny. We probably got a lot of people who's struggling with the God of laziness. You're like, that ain't funny, Pastor Dre. No, come on. <laughs> Write this down. Sabbath thing stops us long enough to remind us we're not God. And it stops us long enough to remind us we're not what we do. I'm not, I'm not God. I have limits. I can only go so far. And I've got to trust God. But at the same time, I'm not what I do. I'm not mother, father, banker, lawyer, musician, teacher, doctor, athlete. I'm a child of God. And when I stop on that seventh day, I'm reminded I kind of lost myself the last six. I put my head down and I went hard and I produced things and I made things happen. But when I stopped long enough to pick my head up, I realized that's not who I am. This is who I am. And it forces us a rhythm of reminding us. Number two, let God interrupt and participate. If you, if you sometimes uh, worship at the, the God of excessive toil, number two, let God interrupt and participate. I love that the shepherds were willing to suspend their work long enough to see what God is saying to them, go investigate, and then make their work all about telling everything that he did when they resumed. Some of us... I don't know who, I don't know how I came up with this idea because I can't identify at all, but some of us have trouble being so driven in some areas that we can't even hear our wives telling us, Drew, Drew, I don't know who I'm talking about, somebody had to tell me this because I can't relate whatsoever, that you're just so driven that you're Drew, 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 are you coming home yet, Drew, 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 and if she can't catch my attention, can God catch your attention when you're at work? If, if a significant other or a friend can't catch your attention, will we be mindful enough to have enough margin for God to say, don't sign that. Do sign that. Take this step this way. Say yes, say no. Don't, 
Remember to include me. You're about to go into a relationship. You think it's about business. It's not about business. It's about them needing to know me. So it's more about them being hurt. If you don't get that, then you'll just think they're attacking you. They're not attacking you. Don't sink the deal over this. This is about them finding me. Can God show up in those interactions or are you just like, this is about the contract and I'm about to seal it? (laughs) Right? Can God interrupt? And number three, use your work for Christ's gain. After all, Ecclesiastes says it correctly. I came to hate all my hard work here on earth for I must say these next three words with me. Leave to others. One more time, say those three words. Leave to others. One last time, as loud as you can. Leave to others, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. If you make your God the God of excessive toil, you're going to be let down. That you earned a lot, you gained a lot of possessions, and man, you gained a certain type of reputation. But it ain't following you to heaven. It's futile. It's short-lived. It's not going to matter, and God's not going to be impressed by that. In fact, a book I'm reading called The Way to Win, put it bluntly, somebody else will live in your house. Somebody else will drive your car. Somebody else will spend all of your money. The only thing you leave behind is your reputation and your family. So clock out and go home. Go see your kids. Go see your spouse. Don't give it everything you've got and leave your family with the leftovers at the end of the day all you've got is your reputation and you've got your family and I add this and the only thing you bring to heaven are souls you don't bring dollar bills you don't bring Maseratis you don't bring vehicles or boats you've heard it said before you've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul hooked to the back of it because it ain't going with you Everything you worked hard for is going to be spent by somebody else. So what's the point of work? I think it's to let our work be a witness. Why do you work so hard? Let me tell you about the God who gave it all for me. Why do you make sure you live a life of integrity when everybody else is cheating and you're not? Let me tell you about the God who gave me a brand new start. I I literally work to be a witness that I could use it for Christ's gain. Hey, you're so successful, can you tell me how? Yes, first, come with me to church on Sunday. I don't get what that has to do with winning in this area of life. It has everything to do because it's about the heart first. I don't work as unto man, I work as unto the Lord. I work to make heaven bigger and hell smaller. And I don't care if it's driving a bus. I don't care if it's driving the dump truck. I don't care if it's in the medicinal system, the psychological system. I don't care if it's being a mother or a father. I don't care. Just work all things for the glory of building heaven bigger and hell smaller. In fact, I saved just a bit of time to talk about how some people in our church are using their work for Christ's gain. Like Nate Turner. Nate Turner, I knew, had invited a lot of people to church, so I asked him, could you tell me a little bit about your story? And He's coming on the screen because he's a lead technician at ADT Security Systems, and he says, this is what I do with my day. Before I even start, I pray to God to guide my day. Once I'm at a customer's house, I stop and pray over the house and the people inside. 
Once I meet the customer, I do a walkthrough with them, and I pray again and ask that the conversation be controlled by God and whatever His will is for that moment. Somehow, church always comes up, and I tell them about Lift Church, and that they have an open invitation, and if they come this Sunday, I would love to give them a tour of the building myself. Then, I let God do His magic through your sermons to reach their ears, and I just see God working all things. It inspires me to keep going and wanting to see more and more of God. I wrote them back, Nate, how many people to date have you invited to Live Church and they have made this their home because you reached out to them on an ADT security call? He said nine, and that includes families. Come on, guys. Can God use you if you're just doing installations? It's all about leaving margin in your heart that you're like, God, if you want to use my workplace and my reputation, go for it. One of the guys he witnessed to on the job site ended up finding Live Church on his own, and his name is Harold. And Harold is an awesome member of our church, and he is over all edible things at Walmart in Ocean City. That brother goes hard during the, the summer times, during Christmas times. He's over all areas grocery, and he's got some people who work for him. And I asked him how God's using him in his workplace, and he said, when I'm demonstrating the spirit of Christ, my employees come to me for a prayer in private. One associate commented, it's not because of your walk, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's because of your walk, not just because of your talk. Come on, guys. Isn't that amazing how God will use our witness to open up prayer opportunities? It's not just in our six days of work toil, but it's even in our seventh day rest. We have members of our dream team who build the kingdom of God, which is, by the way, a break from their regular labor to serve God in a different way. And uh, on our Instagram play, uh, page, uh, uh, um, I'm making a plug there. If you're not following us on Instagram, go ahead and follow. But we have some dream team spotlights. Here's two of them. Dan Kurtz, who's on our building team and our baptism team, as well as our small, he's a small group leader, said this. I'm always thankful to be able to serve God's people in construction at different outreaches. I see many people at Lyft who want to follow God with all their heart, which is a great encouragement. My biggest enjoyment has been in the freedom group, seeing people set free from Satan's chains, learning to walk in the spirit, and hearing God's voice. Come on. Isn't that amazing? But that takes laboring in the house of God. That takes work to reach more people and then one more is Diana Showaker, who, by the way, is actually serving in our kids' ministry as we speak. And she's also a greeter, and you may be seeing her when you come in one Sunday, said this. Serving means I get to meet many like-minded, amazing people that are looking to be closer to God, just like me. Since joining the Dream Team, and I love this part, I am finding more joy, not just on Sundays, but in my day-to-day life, too. Come on. Our God knows that if you'll put Him first, all these other things shall be added unto you. Walk in His ways, obey His word, and let us be like the shepherds, known for being workers. But when God interrupts, we're willing to stop, see what the good news is all about, and then tell everybody we run into when we get back to our work. Amen. Can I pray for you? God, I tried to tackle a subject that I know many of us are on different sides of the pendulum. 
Some of us are dealing with uh, God of laziness. Some of us are dealing with excessive toil. And maybe we get our identity from it. Or maybe uh, we're hurting other people's feelings for it. God, I pray in Jesus' name for the God of revelation, Holy Spirit, that you would bring revelation to our souls. I don't need to tell anybody anything because, Holy Spirit, you know how to nudge our hearts. Say, are you listening? I've got a plan for you. Father, help us find the balance of honoring you in our work. That we don't overindulge, that we don't underindulge. But in Jesus' name, that you use our work for our witness to reach more people, build heaven bigger, and hell smaller. In Jesus' name. If we find ourselves out of balance right now, in this moment, we lay down our idol. We repent of our idol. We repent of using our titles as our highest degree, our bank accounts, our possessions as our highest degree, our work ethic as our highest degree, or maybe the things that we give ourselves to when we're being lazy. We lay down those things, and in Jesus' name, we want to pick back up you. And with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if you're in this place or listening online, let me tell you the most deceptive, damaging idol of work there is. It's the idol of thinking I can work my way into heaven. You cannot work your way into goodness with God. The people tried with the Tower of Babel, trying to get there with their own efforts, and it was futile. In other words, when you've sinned and messed up, and by the way, every one of us have done that before. You're not alone. But when we think that I could have perfect attendance to earn my way back in, or I could pray hard enough or strain, or, or God's not looking for you to drop and give him 20. In fact, nowhere in the Bible will you find you will become good if you do a lot of good things. The Bible says there's only one thing you can do, and that is no physical effort needed. In your soul, realize I am a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. And by faith, I can be healed and set free and start all new. If you're in this place or if you're listening online, I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you, but I want you to have a moment of reflection if you know you have unrepentant sin in your life. If God is not the center of it all and you want to make him today for the first time or for maybe a number of times and you're coming back to him, would you just quickly throw your hand up in the air and say, Pastor Drew, that's me and I'm making Jesus the center of my life today. Go ahead and throw it up real quick. Thank you, Lord. I see you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. People online, right in the chat, that's me too. Now, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to pray out loud with those who raised their hands. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I repent of my sins, and I thank you that you're giving me a fresh start. It's because Jesus is the Son of God, and when he died on that cross, his blood covered all my iniquity. I get to start over because you died for me. I make you my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church said amen and amen. Come on, can we make it loud?